All right, we got Albie Masland, president of Levitate, formerly Valorcraft Performance Brands. Excited for this one. We were connecting offline. Funny enough, we have some mutual friends, and uh, uh, Landon and Albie went to college not so far from each other. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Stoked to have a conversation with you fellas, ready to chop it up. Let's do it, man. So, you know, you have quite a compelling story that that we're reading here, but would love to hear it from your perspective. Tell us a little bit more about like your earlier life and kind of how that got you to where you are today. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel like I usually respond to this uh, by saying that nothing for me has ever been linear. Um, I have navigated life in my 40 years very much to the beat of my own drum, falling, failing, succeeding, uh, all the like along the way. And the path by which I came to what it is I do right now in the cannabis world, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that I was necessarily seeking out. It was something that really came to be as a result of relationships that have formed over the last 10 to 15 years, things that I've done in the last 10 to 15 years that kind of all collectively came back full circle and created the opportunity that I have in front of me right now. And to give you kind of a, a quick snapshot of, of what that time frame looks like, you know, I, I grew up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, uh, wonderful family, great life growing up, great time. Middle school was a little weird. As usual, high school, tons of fun, played a lot of sports, uh, soccer, lacrosse, went on to play lacrosse at Dickinson College, had a ton of fun, had too much fun, uh, definitely had too much fun, graduated a little bit late maybe. Um, but, you know, after that college period of time, you know, you're, you guys are more intimately familiar with it as it's more near to your, your age, but there's a, a, a net that is no longer there. You know, you now have to go out and be your own man. You have to start figuring out what it is you're going to do. And a lot of times what it is you thought you were going to do when you're sitting there in college is, is not necessarily what you end up doing. Uh, for me, I was a political science major. I thought I was going to go down to DC and be a lobbyist. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, that was not the path that I took. The first, the first job that I had was actually as an assistant kindergarten teacher so I am uh, highly skilled at, at playing 25 five-year-olds in a game of kickball, um, can read from very large books. And, you know, that was a, a fun little experience, but kind of bopped uh, my way along in my mid-20s, started working for a lawyer. I'm the son of a lawyer who's now a judge. I think a lot of people always had this expectation that I, Al Jr., would follow along in what my dad did with politics and, and in the field of law. And I think I always sort of thought that that would just be what I would do by nature of my number one role model having done that, um, as opposed to being like, I really love the law. Um, I was more like, I want to do what Jerry Maguire does. Uh, you know, I want to be, you know, something more than a lawyer. And either way, I had a couple years with the lawyer, went out to San Diego to go to law school and, um, you know, did pretty well first year, went and studied in China, went and studied in France, had a ton of fun, uh, went back for the, the second year and, uh, you know, basically watched as like all of the wheels fell off of, you know, the vehicle personally, professionally, um, ended up failing a number of classes and getting a nice little letter from the law school that said, you have been asked to, you know, remove yourself for a semester due to academic performance and, you know, you're welcome to reapply at that point. And that was really sort of like a weird um, 
hitting hitting a wall kind of moment, uh, sort of shock and disbelief and a ton of shame and a lot of disappointment. Um, like, how do you like you, you thought you were on that track in, in a good way um, and you weren't? Um, you know, so what do you do? And I was living in San Diego and I started jokingly saying to people that I was just going to run back home to Pennsylvania and figure my shit out along the way. Um, and I got pretty serious about that idea of, of running back, uh, or just running across the country in general, always liked the movie Forrest Gump. Um, needless to say, I drove home with my tail between my legs and all my life belongings packed into a vehicle, went directly to, you know, living at home with mom and dad. Um, thankfully they've always been a gracious host and, you know, that six to eight month period after that, I was, you know, very much depressed, you know, wasn't really in control of my emotions or my anxiety and wasn't sure what my next path was going to be and really felt sort of disillusioned and disenchanted, but kept looking at myself and saying, Albie, like your, your bar for, for, for potential is way up here, man. But like, what have you been doing? You know, like, what have you actually done? You know, and, and, and most importantly, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do to make this right? How are you going to go about this? Um, you know, in that same period of time, had a relationship end, lost my grandfather, who I was close with, you know, getting denied from a bunch of professional opportunities that I was, you know, hopeful to lock in. So just total instability and really a sense that I had no control over anything. But the one thing that I had control over was running. And I controlled my pace and I controlled the music that I listened to and I controlled the route and you have all that dopamine flowing and you're just in such a better place. You're, you're moving in a cathartic way. You're healing yourself and you're getting all this positive energy built up to help you weather the storm that is the anxiety and depression that you find yourself in. And so guys, like I would, I would wake up at three in the morning and go run for a nice little cornfield jaunt out in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, and I'd come back home and I'd sleep for a little bit and I'd have breakfast and maybe 11 a.m. runs around and there's the anxiety again. All right, well, then let's just go for a run, you know, and in and, and that way, like that whole idea of running across the country really started to become not just like this thing that I said to sort of like shock myself out of the situation I was in, but it was a true belief in that, like, I'm going to do this. Um, and it really kind of all came to a culminating point, um, you know, around the time, October, 2011, a lot of the news of the time was around, um, the men and women who are serving our country in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan coming back and the challenges that they face. And these are my peers and look at me, like I, I didn't serve, um, you know, in retrospect, I certainly wish I would have, but I found a way to, channel all of the things that I was feeling into what became a run across the United States, raising money for a veteran nonprofit called the Travis Mannion Foundation that was supporting those who serve. Um, and so I kind of cold called the Travis Mannion Foundation and was like, hey, I want to run across the United States. I want to raise money for y'all. Um, you know, if that's cool with you, you know, let me know. And they said, you know, come on down and, and pitch us on it. And so my, my sister, uh, Hillary and our friend, Alex, we went down with at, at the time, what was called a PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> um, not a slide deck, it's a PowerPoint presentation. 
Um, and we had calculated like average gas prices and what a motel might cost in Amarillo, Texas. And, uh, you know, we said, look, this is the plan. And in that meeting, one of the people that I was pitching is a former Marine officer who is now my current business partner. Um, so that's sort of an important point. Um, but they said yes. And the next thing I know, three months later, I was running across the United States and having the time of my life, the experience of my life, um, hit the big reset button. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll pause there if you guys have any sort of questions. I don't want to just talk straight through. I mean, dude, like, that's awesome. So we just got done running our first marathon in December and we trained for that. And like, that was like a big deal for us running across the country. I couldn't wrap my mind around. Doing that. I'm like trying to conceptualize <laughs> like, like, wait, so like yeah. you're running probably more than a marathon a day for consecutive days. Like I, I want to run across the country now, but how the hell is that physically possible? Like yeah. walk, walk us through that journey, how you mapped it out, like what States you ran through all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, from the time that they said yes, they were like, yep, cool. We'll, we'll provide the funding. You just have to fundraise double. And I was like, thank you, Travis Mannion Foundation. Like that piece is covered. Um, but then it was like, oh man, like it's, it was around Christmas time. We're going to start running. And I was kind of like, oh, uh, let's just like, I think I need like at least three months. Let's, we'll start on St. Patrick's Day. How about that? Um, you know, no real logic to it. And but did, then what did your training look like before you made this decision? Like what running when I was having an anxiety attack. <laughs> like training for races? Did you have a lot of distance under your belt? Like you were just kind I've of. I've always, I mean, you guys are athletes. I've always been an athlete. I'm the athlete that is not going to burn you up with my change of direction, but I'll be running the whole damn game. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've got an engine for it. Um, when I was in San Diego and sort of kicking the idea around it, I just drove out to Phoenix and signed up for a marathon and ran it and then drove home and sort of like woke up the next day. And I was like, Oh, I'm actually feeling pretty good. Um, so I kind of knew that my recovery, my build was, was durable and different in that way. But, you know, like I said, the, the training was more just like, what was my therapy and therapy was running when they said, yes, it was then like, all right, like we got to get, a little bit serious about this. And I went out, um, my, my now brother-in-law, his, his brother is a highly accomplished, uh, division one swimmer, triathlete, um, runs a, a fitness studio where they had the ability to do the VO two max and check my, my lactate threshold and do some due diligence on what I was made up of, figure out what my ideal pace would be and do the, the sort of, you know, nuts and bolts on like, what it, what am I compromised with, um, or comprised of rather? Uh, so yeah, I mean, like, and it was just kind of like expecting and the fact that like, you don't train to run across the country by running 30 miles every day. Like you grow into it. Um, you know, and, and that was sort of something that I accepted from the start, like we're going to learn. Um, and from there we, we ended up, I drove from Pennsylvania out on the route that I planned to run back just sort of get a sense for what it was going to look like and got out to California. My sister and our friend Alex met up with me. We had a nice little launch party and then ran from Dana Point, California up to um, Santa Monica Pier, touched the ocean, then ran straight through LA, straight through Mojave Desert, um, Flagstaff, Albuquerque, Amarillo, Oklahoma City, St. Louis, Indianapolis, Columbus, Pittsburgh, my hometown of Carlisle, of course, had a nice little party there, 
then down to Washington, D.C., where Travis Mannion was was buried in Arlington. Um, and the, the idea initially was that's where we'll finish. We'll finish in D.C. Uh, we'll get a big group of people together. We'll go pay our respects to Travis. We'll have a celebration. And um, again, my my now business partner, James, who was the executive director of Travis Mannion Foundation at that point, kind of called me and was like, do you really think like the Chesapeake counts as coast to coast? Um, and I was like, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. And I don't want anybody to ever ask me that again. Um, so we finished in DC. We had a nice big party, went down to Carlisle, had, back up to Carlisle, had a big party. And then my sister and I went back to DC. And in three days, I ran the whole way to um, the coast from there. So How many I, miles total did it end up being? Delaware. 3,025 miles, 154 days, a total of about seven days that I ever took off. Um, I took the majority of those days off between California and Oklahoma City. Uh, by the time I was in Oklahoma City, it was just very clear that it was so much easier to not take days off. The the mental gymnastics that your body was sort of jumping. It was like, what was what was that yesterday stuff, man? Like, we're, like it was so much harder to get yourself back into that groove. And I was also like in total, like I was in, you know, what do you want to call it? Beast mode. I called it tank mode. I was tougher always, never going to quit. I'm a tank. Um, and so, you know, you just go. And it was fun, man. How many days was it again? 154. 154. So you're running like 20 miles a day. Yeah, that's the average, I think. Okay. And it, what, what's your average pace during that time? I, I would say about 70% of the time I was running. There were certainly days where it was just mm-hmm. like... I just got to cover miles, um, just walking. But I would say like nine minute miles. You said something, you said you finished in Delaware. Is that what I Yeah, said? Broadkill Beach, Delaware. Yeah. I, I grew up 15 minutes away from Broadkill. <laughs> oh, where'd you grow up? Delaware, like Townsend, Smyrna, Delaware. Yeah, absolutely, man. Awesome. We're headquartered in Delaware. Um, and not just because companies are headquartered, like we're actually based in Wilmington. Um so yeah. b- before we get into the company side of things, thank you for sharing that story. That's incredible, dude. It's like selfishly, we want to learn about that because like, yeah. it sounds awesome to, to run across the country, but then like you start to understand the mileage that goes into it. Um, Maybe one day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to when you were telling your story and you had the uh, the hiccup on the law school side of things and mm-hmm. they, had, they had asked you to, to take off for a semester. With your dad being an accomplished lawyer and a judge, how did that dynamic shift, if if at all? Like, what what did that look like at home? And, and, uh, he's the best. My parents are awesome. They've they've uh, tolerated me through a lot of ridiculousness. Um, never never was I ever told or you know meant to feel like it was the expectation that I was going to be who my father is. Um, we share the same name. Um, I now share that name with my son as well as my father. Um, you know, it's all love, all support. Um, you know, I think they were, I think they were sort of understandably sad for me. They knew how disappointed I was in myself. You know, they weren't there to fan the flames of, of shame that I was feeling. They were there to support and, you know, I was able to get myself, back and on my feet. And one of the things that my dad was always saying to me, especially when I like was still trying to like figure out exactly what my sort of path through this depressed state was going to be, was just, you got to keep moving, buddy. 
Like if you're going to, if you're going to sit in bed or you're going to sit on a couch, like that's not going to be the path. Mm. Uh, if you want to figure out where it is you're going next, you better keep yourself moving. And in that process, you'll, you'll see, you know, what, what it is that you're meant to be doing. And I kept running and it was very clear to me, crystal clear to the point that, you know, I was, I was running across the country, raising money for a, a cause greater than myself, healing myself in the process, finding myself an incredible career after that, working for about 10 years in the veteran service space with veterans and survivors and youth all across the country. Um, you know, so yeah, they're very supportive. Long, long answer. And so that all of that has transformed to this business partnership now and the business that you guys are running. Tell us a little bit more about that. We'd love to hear about, you know, what the business is, what your business model is and all the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'll do like a quick little zip. I, I worked with veterans for 10 years. It was incredible. COVID came around and it was just like, man, what a weird time. I was sort of feeling itchy, started looking at what other opportunities might, you know, be available, had an opportunity to go uh, and join a startup in the advanced textile space and build out a government channel. And, you know, as startups do, that kind of ran its course. And at the one year mark, they were like, look, we're not going to go the government path. Uh, no harm, no foul. But I found myself quickly sort of saying like, all right, well, I, you know, I, I got to go figure out what it is that I'm going to do next and decided I was just going to set up a little, you know, consulting operation. And I was going to do Albi things for companies that Albi wanted to work with, picked up a, a client real quick through a friend. And, you know, actually at the suggestion of my wife, she was like, you should call James. Uh, James being the former executive director, Marine officer that I know from Travis Mannion Foundation, the one that told me the Chesapeake was not the whole way coast to coast. Um, and I called him up and he had, after leaving Travis Mannion Foundation, started a portfolio of cannabis companies. Um, and I hit James up and I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm personally interested. I'm professionally interested you know, what do you say? I do some business development, Albi type stuff, uh, you know, handful of hours a month, you know, you pay me what you think is fair kind of thing. And he was like, no, nah, man, I don't want your business development. We have a company that's already been built. Uh, it wasn't the right fit with the individual that we thought was going to run it. This car needs an engine. I'll make you the engine. I'll give you ownership right off the bat. We have a support team here to guide you. I'll mentor you in the process. You know, this is the wild world of cannabis, you know, talk it over, think, think it over and, and get back to me. And it was not exactly what I had gone fishing for, but it was a really interesting fish that I pulled out of the pond and, you know, talked it over with my wife and talked it over with my family and, you know, came to the conclusion that, yeah, I want to learn how to be the president and owner of a company. I want to learn what that feels like. And, you know, from there I was taking over a company that, you know, it's called Ambassador Distributing but it had multiple CBD brands uh, too. And they had a lot of different tincture products. And I was basically told that, you know, there's no sacred cow here. You renovate it as you see fit. You make it look like you want it to look. And, you know, from there, the first year was basically like flipping a house. Um, you know, we cleared out all the inventory. We changed the branding to make it align with our THC brand. So we have THC brands and licenses in Michigan and Delaware. Um, and our brand is called Valorcraft. Um, so on the hemp side, I was like, well, let's just call it Valorcraft Performance. You know, I, I want it to be more of a, a functional brand. I want it to be something that's familiar to me so that I can speak to it authentically. I think CBD is a beneficial additive ingredient. 
but I'm very interested in all of the other cannabinoids. And I'm also interested in functional mushrooms. And I'm also interested in other natural extracts. Like I want to pair them all together in what I call hybrid plant performance. We're going to make things that are going to help you do more with your day, do more with your night, do more with your life. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was this like wild exercise of raising money, um, which was a daunting task and renovating and clearing out product and bringing new product to life through the R and D process and bringing it to market. We have a, a daytime gummy called launch that has apple cider vinegar, lion's mane, beetroot, B12 and full spectrum CBD. And we have a nighttime gummy that has CBD, CBN, which is a cannabinoid that's proven to be very effective for sleep. And that also has skullcap extract and melatonin. So the idea was let's take things that people are familiar with, uh, maybe like an apple cider vinegar or people becoming more comfortable with lion's mane. And let's pair those with cannabinoids. And that's that's our go-to-market approach with hybrid plant performance. Um, and we've, we've had a pretty successful run with it. It was just one of those things where, and I said this in, in our post explaining why we've changed our brand from Valorcraft Performance to Levitate. It was like you you flipped that fixer upper and you wanted to move on to build your dream home from the ground up. All the nuts and bolts, all the planks and boards, everything is yours. And and so as we're building this Valorcraft Performance experience and these products, we started going into the R&D process on a third product, and that's the beverage. Um, that beverage was initially going to just be a part of Valorcraft Performance product offering. But once it sort of began to evolve, we realized very quickly that this was something that was going to stand on its own. And once it was fully built, we were like, this is actually, this is the brand that that I've had in my heart, that I've had in my dreams, that I want to go forward with. And so we're sort of in this, you know, very present state right now where we're finishing out the inventory for what we had with Valorcraft Performance and about to go live with our beverage, which launches and to the market in 30 days. So, you know, it's it's a lot of a lot of different things moving, but very exciting time. It's so we have a couple really close friends that have been trying to get into this market. And from what I've been told with very limited knowledge and logistics of it all, but it's not that easy to get like a license and be able to truly do business in some of these States. I've heard Michigan, I've heard um, maybe it's Arkansas is a good state or Delaware can be pretty decent, but they only give out a certain amount of licenses every single year. Uh, there's, you can kind of go the brick and mortar location storefront. You can go the distribution route. Uh, would you mind just talking about that journey for you and what the future of this looks like and how potentially younger entrepreneurs or just not necessarily younger, but just new entrepreneurs that want to get into this space, what that looks like from a barrier of entry standpoint? Yeah, man. I mean, first thing I would say is um, I'm, I'm grateful that I have an incredible partner who's an incredible operator. Uh, you know, he's he's a battle tested Marine. Uh, he's also smart as hell and, you know, ready to outwork everybody. He did a lot of the hard work up until the point that that I joined. He won the licenses. He built the operation in Michigan. He built and won the license in Delaware where we have a medical dispensary. Um, and so when I came on, it was sort of like, here's your foot in the door to scrap and claw and, and, and figure out your, your path in this space. Um, but I had people there to give me guidance. I would say, you know, 
as just sort of like a, a high level comment, the cannabis industry is full of the most creative, energetic, talented, hardworking individuals. And if you are not ready to grind, you have no business in this space. You will fail uh, flat out. This is not a world of lazy stoners as, as you know, the outside looking in might perceive it to be. It is challenging in all sorts of ways from a regulatory and policy perspective, you know, just by nature of what it is. There, there's no comp to the cannabis industry. There's no it's not federally legal. It might be federally descheduled. It's state by state unique. It's maybe medical, maybe it's adult use, maybe it's decriminalized, maybe it's completely forbidden. And then on the other side, you have what took place with the Farm Bill of 2018, which legalized hemp. You have all this, this massive hemp industry that frankly is, is larger than the, the medical recreational cannabis industry in its capability. Uh, and so you know, it's, it's fascinating to sort of find yourself in it, but you know, you really have to be built with a different type of resilience because just even in like your basic day to day, you know, banking, you know, we have a bank for sure, but that's not something that everybody enjoys. And that's always been one of the big call outs, like just managing finances in this way is, is challenging. Um, from a basic marketing perspective, guys, I can't say certain things on Instagram or they'll shadow ban or, completely shut down my account. You know, like we posted a photo of a dog bounding through a field once and said, want to level up on your sleep, DM us. And the next thing you know, we couldn't run ads. We were like, it's a dog in a field. Like we're talking about leveling up your sleep. Like I didn't say anything explicit or controversial. Um, you know, and that's just sort of like a little snapshot, you know, the tax burden on companies that you know, are in this industry, we're not able to write off things that typical businesses are able to write off. Um, you know, and so I think like for anybody that's looking to get into the space, like you better be built for it, man. And you might not know if you are until you're in it. That's, that's for sure. You know, I, I think I, I had an idea that I had the, the DNA and the makeup to get punched in the face, you know, a, a good number of times and continue to get up and keep fighting. Um, but it's challenging, man. You, you gotta, you gotta be willing to embrace the, the creative solution. You know, you're going to find that, okay, we'll square our payment processor just flagged a certain post. Um, how can we work around this? Well, let's build a landing page that hosts the payment processor that bifurcates what we do from any content that we create. So the two things are not connected and then therefore they don't become an issue. I mean, that that's, that's a tiny example. Um, you know, that's stuff you can't, no, unless you just break it first. You know what I mean? It's like you have to like break something to fix that type of situation and have that experience, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's super rewarding when you're able to navigate around something like that. You're like, oh man, look at us. We just we just figured that out. That was that was a little bit scary, but you know, it was something that we knew we could navigate around and everybody got excited on the team about how we were gonna figure out creative solutions to to push through and that's something that, you know, certainly is, is true for, for all sorts of industries, but it's unique in the way that the, the cannabis industry kind of requires you to, to figure out and fight. Mm -hmm. So as if that isn't challenging enough, you guys decide to tap into the beverage market as well, which is probably the, the whole nother beast on its own. Um, what's the business plan around, uh, like, are you guys doing like e-com direct to consumer? 
going to like retail stores? Like what's the, what's the go to market strategy with the. It, so in, in 30 days, I'll have 7,000 cans of levitate my, my dream product. And I can't wait because all of the stressors that have, you know, been in play in the development process up to this point are the little things like don't mess up the barcode. Don't mess up the compliance and the warning label. Make sure you get the supplement fact panel right. Make sure the artwork and all the little details that are going into it are going to work. Make sure you have a good contract manufacturer. Our, our initial contract manufacturer shut down business operations 30 minutes before we were supposed to go into production. Um, that was an interesting thing that I didn't see coming. So make sure you can find another one. Um, you know, Navigating everything up into this point was like... <laughs> it was intense. Um, now it's just like, all right, we get 7,000 cans. Let's go sell. Let's go have fun. Like, let that be the stress. And of those 7,000 cans, you know, we really want the majority of those to fly through the direct consumer e-commerce platform. You know, we're able to, to move these things in 42 states. We can drop them on your doorstep. Um, and that's where the the sweet spot for profitability takes place at a much more rapid rate versus if we just did retail and wholesale. Yeah. However, sure. with those, you know, 7,000 cans, I'll probably take a, a thousand off the top and hit the retail locations that are around me in North Carolina. There's a really strong hemp derived market. There's some really high end uh, locations that I've already been in conversation with that I want to work with, but I want to keep that like a really tight shot group. I don't want to just work with any retail. I want it to be the right retail. I don't want this in shitty vape shops and dirty gas stations. I want this in nice places where a high level product should show up. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, that's sort of the way we're, we're viewing the approach. You know, obviously we're going to have to figure out the creative ways to spend, but we have uh, a, a very, uh, very accomplished individual who's going to be helping us spread through his massive following what it is we're doing. So we'll, we'll get into sort of that, that very specific brand influencer play as opposed to just like a broad net cast and get, you know, brand influencers that we don't have any personal relationship with. Like this individual is a relationship that I've been building for about the same amount of time that I've been building the product. Um, he's personally invested. And so really excited about, you know, being able to say his name out loud. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's going to be hitting singles is, is I think the way that we like to look at it. Like, let's just keep moving runners. And, you know, when there is that time to take a big swing, you know, let's, let's go for it all. You guys are athletes, you get that sort of concept, but, um, you know, for the first production run, we're going to learn a lot, right? Like, and just be ready to learn a lot and, and be ready to take what you learn and say, all right, well, we can shave a bunch of cost off here. This is what we were spending on shipping. We can be way more efficient with that. We get another production run because we've justified a higher number. That MOQ brings that product price down per can. You know, you start getting into the, the, the cogs uh, and all the things you can do there. But also you start to develop some, some brand recognition and loyalty and some community that supports it. Well, I imagine like, you know, everyone's real big on like, we don't want to sacrifice quality, right? So like, how do you still maintain quality for also, you know, creating good margin and fat on the bone for you guys to be profitable like that through that process of exploration of building out like 
figuring out the design of the label, figuring out, making sure all that's logistically set up properly, getting manufactured properly. How did you guys go about like selecting like the ingredients and like figuring that part of things out? And I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's the the cheap option and then there's the expensive option and there's like reasons why they're cheap and expensive and whatever. Like, how did you guys navigate that side of things? I know, by the way, I know we're at the half hour mark, so we'll wrap up here in a couple minutes, but I was curious about that. Yeah, no, I mean, trust, honestly, finding good people that I trust and, and, and being comfortable with the fact that I'm going to delegate this process to you. We, we had the opportunity to work with some really accomplished product development teams in, you know, with our first contract manufacturer, um, you know, led by somebody who has extensive decade worth of experience in the cannabis space. We knew that they were looking to source only the highest level ingredients. These are CGMP facilities that operate at a very, very high level. Um, and their teams, their innovation teams, you know, they're, they're prepped and ready for individuals like me to come and say, like, this is the kind of product input that I'm looking for. This is the standard that I have. I trust that you're going to go and you're going to get that right. And we'll come and talk what the price looks like at the end. Um, you know, we are, we are not a fully USDA organic, uh, beverage. Um, but the inputs that we use are high quality and all natural. Um, you know, and that's, that's sort of been the way we went about it, but also like, you know, there's, like I said, like you got to have a level of trust. You can't, if you've, unless you've brought a beverage to market and you've done all the product development prior to that, like you don't know what you don't know. So find good people that you can trust. Great. Sure. So as we wrap up here, what are the next, if everything goes right, what does the next 5, 10, 20 years look like for Albi and the business? Where, where's the vision? Man, you know, I am thinking in 30-day chunks right now. Um, so I appreciate the question. But right now I'm like, let's get the cans sure. in our hand. Let's go move that 7,000. But, you know, big picture, you know, I think as it sits right now, I run – this brand, we've got a lot of focus on this, but I also run sort of our collective sales and marketing for our brand in Michigan, for our brand in Delaware. Um, so I've got my hands moving in a number of different ways. And we've got some really cool things collectively in front of us uh, in all three of the sort of lanes that we're playing in. You know, I want to, you know, from like a basic number standpoint, grow the revenue, right? Grow the company, scale things up in a thoughtful, effective way. But more than anything, I want to make things that make others well. I want to make things that make people smile, you know, and 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 that's sort of the 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 bigger picture goal in in what it is that I'm doing. As far as the the five, 10, 20 year perspective, um, you know, I just hope I'm doing something that I love. And if I'm still doing this and I know I love it, then I'm in the right place. I love it, man. I love it. Well I'll be thank you so much for your time, man. Um, awesome story. You've inspired us to to get out there and keep running too. Um, and best of luck with all the amazing stuff that you got going on. Awesome, fellas. One last thing that I would say to anybody that is listening, use the code CW25 for your first purchase of Levitate. Now, granted, that will be ready in 30 days, but anybody listening to this can use that code. And you can follow us at get.levitate on Instagram and getlevitate.co is the domain that will be going live here in the next week or so. Let's go. Well, we'll be buying a bunch. So let's chop off some of that 7,000 for us. I'm just going <laughs> to send it to you guys. I like you guys. I appreciate you, brother. Have a good one. Absolutely.